Good morning, everyone. Just had to do some family business up here, sorry. As we came down from Kiwaskam, I missed the first part of this service, so I wanted to be sure that I wasn't repeating something that Mike said. Um, my name is Kara Moran, if we haven't met, and I have the great privilege of leading the International Ministries team here at Kettlebrook Church. Um, and as Mike may have said, today is the day that we call World Fest Sunday. It's the day when we focus solely on things that God is doing around the world and how we get the awesome privilege of being involved in that. And my purpose right now is just to briefly explain to you why we're concerned about people around the world and to introduce you to our ministry partners around the world in case you don't know who they are. Um, If you've been at Kettlebrook for any amount of time, you will know that we have a great concern for people who live in the far corners of the world. And a question that I'm sometimes asked, which I think is a valid question, is why do we spend our time and our resources on people living so far away when there are so many needs here? Again, I think it's a fair question. It's an important question to answer. You see, as a faith family, as we seek to follow God and to be like his son Jesus, what we will find is that God's heart always beats for the ones who do not yet know him. When we look at the Bible, we find that it's actually one long narrative, one long story of God reaching out beyond those who know him to those who don't yet know him. And so as we seek to follow him, we want to be like him in that, both locally and globally. It's not an either or, it's a both and. But here's the thing. When we start to look globally, we find something that's a little bit shocking. We find that there are entire populations of people who have almost no access to the gospel. And what that means is they might be born, live their entire lives, and die, and never once hear the name Jesus because there's no one near them or like them to tell them about him. And so we don't think that's right. And our our heart beats for that because that's what God's heart beats for. So as we, um, the International Ministries team, pray and think about how can we be involved, Kettlebrook, around the world, we look for partner families who are working in one or all of three main areas. And this is what they are. We look for people working where the name of Jesus is not yet known, where the church is underrepresented, or where there exists extreme suffering. And often the three of those go together. Um, And so, in case you don't know who they are, today I would like to briefly introduce you to our five partner families who we support financially on a monthly basis. We also pray for them, and when they ask us to send them people, we send them to help them in any way that we can. The first family, um, many of you know, it's Molly and Eric Kroner and their boys Quincy, Emmett, and Nicholas. They live in Amtiman, Chad, Africa, which is 99.9% Muslim. And Eric uses his skills as a doctor, and Molly uses this awesome soft heart that she has for God to reach out into their community any way that they possibly can. Our next partners are Geni and Sony Begu. They are Albanians. Um, Their children are David, Nicole, Simone, and John. They have been living for the last 10 years in neighboring Kosovo, which is Muslim, attempting to start a church among the Muslims living there. Then we have Dave and Rebecca Heidenreich, along with their four children, Philip, Ellie, Stephen, and Hannah, 
For 23 years, they lived in Southeast Asia, and they both reached out to their Muslim neighbors. But more importantly, they taught um, followers of Jesus how to reach out to their Muslim neighbors. They recently moved back here. They live in the Chicago area, and they are leading the charge to figure out how do we reach the 250,000 Muslims who live in the Chicago area. Then we have Saboch Kirakesh, who many of you know. He is personally our mentor. He is a Hungarian, and he has literally written the books on church planting in Hungary. He mentors pastors, youth leaders. He runs huge youth movements, and he works with girls in a detention center. And our final partners, our newest partners, are Brad and Sarah. They have two children, Carl and Mira. They live in Central Asia, and their job is to shepherd and train and care for all the the missionaries, the workers living in their area, reaching into Muslim people groups. So please join me um, as I pray for them. Father, we lift up to you this morning, our partner families. Um, For many of us, they are near and dear to our hearts. And um, we love them, we think about them, we walk with them. We stand behind them in prayer, and we lift them up to you this morning. We pray for them as they are painfully normal, just like the rest of us. We pray for their marriages and for their families living under the stress of living in another culture overseas. We pray that you'll remind them of your great love for them and why you called them to where they are. We pray that you'll give them patience and perseverance and endurance to complete the task that you've invited them to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this morning, um, we have a guest speaker who I get to introduce to you. Her name is Kate McCord, and I was introduced to her when my sister-in-law, who's here this morning, gave me a book called In the Land of the Blue Burkas. It is a phenomenal book, and as I was reading it, I would kept hitting Mike saying, you got to listen to this, you got to listen to this, and I would read parts of it to him. This is amazing. How can I download everything that she knows and all of her wisdom into my head because I'm not nearly this smart. She found ways over nine years of living in Afghanistan how to constantly change the conversation with Afghans to turn them towards Jesus. And so it's a great privilege to have her with us this morning. Please welcome Kate McCord. I love being smart. Good morning, everyone. I'm enjoying being here a lot. We just went down to the high school in, I can't say the name. Yeah, that place. It was really wonderful, and it's beautiful. It's fall. I love that. My name is Kate McCord, and I had the privilege of living in Afghanistan for nine years. And... um, I thought I'd, I'd start with sharing just a little bit about how I got there, if you'd like that. Just a little bit. So uh, years ago, in, in uh, 2000, I was working in the corporate world, which meant that I flew business class. Have you ever flown business class? Yeah, I told you, I rock, man. When I went on my, uh, my survey trip to Afghanistan, a survey trip is when you actually go to figure out if this is really, to confirm, is this really where God is leading me and with whom will I work? So I went on this survey trip, and it was uh, Thanksgiving of, um, I don't remember, but it was Thanksgiving. I do remember that. 
And I, I was sleeping in a, in a little room in a mud house on a, on a floor mat, this cotton mat on a concrete floor with a piece of carpet between me and the floor. And I was cold. In fact, I was so cold I was shivering. I didn't have enough blankets, so I took all of the clothes out of my suitcase and I piled them onto myself to try to be warm. And I was still shivering. And you'd think that I would feel like this was the stupidest thing in the world, right? Like, what am I doing here? Because I did used to fly business class. <laughs> and I was, I was laying there underneath this pile of clothes. Like, I look like a homeless person. You know? <laughs> and I was singing and I was praising God for the privilege of being in, in Afghanistan, of being in this. And, and the irony caught me. I thought, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done. Here I am praising God for the privilege of shivering. <laughs> but I really was grateful. Before I went to Afghanistan, I was working in corporate. And I was there because God called me there. I mean, some of you work day jobs, right? Did God invite you into those day jobs? Did he give you those jobs? Has he given you your coworkers, the, the family members, the people in your life, right? Yeah, he's called you there. So for years, I knew that God had called me into corporate, and I worked all over the world. I traveled all over the world, and it was great. And I had a, I, at home, I had, a, I had a Saab. I had a convertible. That's very cool. Eat your heart out. I'll never have one again, but I did. But what was most important to me wasn't the stuff. It certainly wasn't the status. It wasn't the income. Although all that was good, I liked it. What was most important to me was being where God was inviting me to be and doing what God was inviting me to do. Because it's in that place that we experience our fullest joy. Now, I'm not going to say it's in that place that's easy. Because I don't know if you all know this out here in, where are we, Wisconsin, life is not always easy, eh? Right? We can be doing exactly what God has called us to do, and, and we, can get, we can fall on our faces, get bloody noses, cry the whole nine yards, right? But there's a sense of yes and amen, There's a sense of, I know this is what I am meant to be doing in this season of my life. And and that's the place, sometimes we talk about it being in the center of God's will. I don't know if he has like an outer part of his will or the center part. All I know is that he invites us into places, into things, into relationships. And that's where we want to be. So for me, I was... Honestly, I was humming away with my sob and a great church and a lovely house and a good career and, and a future that looked bright and a 401k. And I just happened to pick up a book. And God used the book to kind of nudge me and to say, Kate, I want you to pay attention to Afghanistan. This is important. And my first thought was, this is the stupidest thing in the world. Because I don't know if this happens to you, but sometimes when God is inviting Sometimes I've thought over the years, that's not an invitation I want. Have you ever had that experience? I mean, maybe you're taking care of a loved one and you think, man, I didn't want that one. But of course I'll do it. Or maybe you find yourself in a job and you think, yeah, that, that's probably not. Could I have a better one, please? 
Or maybe you're rooting for the Packers and they're not winning right now. Are they winning right now? Yeah, because Aaron Rodgers just got hurt, right? And he's a rock star. I don't know much, but I know that. For me, it, God just got my attention and said, I want you to pay attention to Afghanistan. And so I went to my small group. Y'all go to small group? Good. Encouraging, affirming, helps you seek the Lord together. So I went to my small group and, and I said, I, th- I think God's calling me to get involved in Afghanistan. And actually, I, I wasn't at the time thinking of moving to Afghanistan, perish the thought. I really was thinking of praying more, writing checks, and maybe going on trips. I thought that would be really a lot. <laughs> and it would have been. But my small group had an immediate reaction. And what do you think their reaction was? Right. No way. Are you nuts? We like you. <laughs> It's nice to be liked. And then that was in January of 2001. And you, you all know what happened in September of 2001. When the towers went down, I knew that I knew that I knew I was going to Afghanistan. I didn't need the evening news to tell me that we were going to invade Afghanistan, that the doors were going to open, that this nightmare that the country had been going through was, was going to change. I knew it. And... When I went back to my small group and I said, hey, I still think God wants me to be involved in Afghanistan. And not only that, I think he wants me to move there. What do you think they said this time? They cried. They gathered around me. They put their hands on me. They prayed for me. And they said, we affirm that call and we will walk with you. No matter what happens. We will walk with you. When we walk into God's invitation, we seldom walk alone. I'm not sure we ever do, but I'm uncomfortable with never, with that word. We don't walk alone. People walk with us. Our small groups, our brothers and sisters in Christ. You, as Cara is talking about these partners, like they're there in amazing places, but they can't be there without you. Amen? You are every bit a part of that journey, as my little small group was part of my journey in Afghanistan. So I went through the process of of, uh, responding to God's call and going to Afghanistan. And um, do you think it was easy? It's not. We hear God's invitation and we say, yeah, I'm for it. And we take a step forward, and what do you think the enemy does? He says, sit down and shut up. (laughs) Sometimes it takes a lot of courage to walk in what God is inviting us to do. But when we know that we know that we know that this is God's invitation in our life, then our joy will be found in stepping into it. I've I've talked to some people, young people especially, that will say, why is this hard? I thought if God was leading, you know, all the doors would just open. Well, they will, but sometimes you have to walk over some wreckage to get to them. Because sometimes we have to fight for the vision that God has given us. Sometimes we have to fight for the call that God has placed on our lives. But as we persevere... 
As we persevere, we find the blessings of God's presence and the joy, the joy and the fullness of being and doing what he's called us to do. And, and that's what it was like for me. So I got on a plane to Afghanistan, and um, my church prayed me off. In fact, I had a, a bunch of supporting churches, and they all got together. There were eight supporting churches within an hour of each other, partnering churches, and they all got together, and they prayed me off. And, man, I was, like, on the top of the world, going to Afghanistan. Yeah, here I go. I'm ready. I'm ready. Look at me. Can you go to the next slide? And then I got there, and I said, Now what? And has that, has that ever happened to you? Have you ever said yes to God's invitation, walked into it, and looked around and said, Whoa, how in the world did I get here? And now what do I do once I'm here? Because, see, here's the thing. Here's the thing about God that's kind of different than the thing about me. I mean, you don't know me really well, but I'll tell you this about me. I... I came from corporate. I like to have plans, resources in place. And, and we ask that of people, right? So you're going to college. What are you going to major in? Well, I'm hoping that I like my roommate. <laughs> Let me get three quarters of the way through my first semester and decide if I'm even going to survive this campus and you want to know what I'm going to do when I graduate and how I'm going to turn this into a career? Have you young people been asked these questions? How helpful are they? Not very. Because, because actually the walk with Jesus is a walk of faith. It's a walk of faith. It's a walk of yielding, leaning in and yielding to his will. Now, I really did come out of corporate, and I also came out of the Northeast. And y'all here in the, do we call this the Midwest? Because I do. Y'all are nice. We are not. And if you think that's a myth, you're mistaken. We're, we're kind of sharp in the Northeast, and we are decisive, and we like, and we'll tell you how it is. And, and we just love being in control. Do you? <laughs> and imagine I'm standing on the backside of Afghanistan. Am I seriously in control here? We like to ask people, what are your five-year plans? I love it when people ask me that. Now, I came back from Afghanistan. People say, well, what is your five-year plan? Well, I'm rather hoping I'm still walking with Jesus in five years. <laughs> What I learned in Afghanistan, can you go to the next slide, is that I am entering a story with my neighbors. In that case, with Afghans. I'm entering a story. And I had a story of them, and they had a story of me. And when I first got there, I thought, this is the most important thing. Because I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit arrogant. And I think it's all about me. I wanted people to like me. And I wanted to be able to say smart and clever things in my two-year-old, my, like a two-year-old's version of Dari. My language skills were non-existent when I first arrived. I thought that was important. And I wanted to like them. And I wanted to build relationships with the people with whom I was coming in contact. But when I first got there, I missed something very important. Can you go to the next slide? There's a deeper story. 
There's always a deeper story. In the room with me and my Afghan friend is not just me and my Afghan friend. But Jesus is here with us in this room. And Jesus has a story of me and of you. We each have a story of Jesus. And all of my Afghan friends had some story of Jesus. And sometimes it was kind of wacky. And I don't know if you know this, but my story of Jesus is 100% true and absolutely complete. We all have a story of Jesus. Our stories change as we get to know Jesus more deeply. So I came to faith when I was 25, and I really want you to believe this. My theology was rock solid when I came to faith. And my particular church, which wasn't you, they were right about everything. Wouldn't you have wanted to be my pastor then? <laughs> but over the years, as I've come to, as I've lived in companionship with Jesus, my story of Jesus continues to change. My understanding of who He is, my experience of who He is, continues to change and continues to grow. My Afghan friend's story of Jesus also continues to change and continues to grow. But his story of you is rock solid. It doesn't change. It has always been the same. Can you go to the next slide? And this was the thing that was so important for me to grasp, in Af- not just in Afghanistan. I mean, would that I had grasped it before I went, but I'm a little slow. Jesus has a story of each one of us. He has a story of you. And it's the same story he had of you when you were in your darkest season. When you failed so completely that, in fact, you don't even want to tell anybody about that failure, Jesus' story of you was the same as it is today. See, I thought when I came to faith that when I finally did come to faith, Jesus decided he liked me. Did you think that? You know, he didn't used to like me when I was, you know, but he likes me now. And I go to church every Sunday, so he really, really, really likes me. But Jesus' story of us doesn't change. When Jesus looks at my friend in Afghanistan, he says, I knew you when you were in your mother's womb. I knew you when you didn't have a clue who I was. I knew you when you were brandy spanking newborn and you didn't have any words in your mouth, let alone carefully articulated theology. I loved you. And he says that to me. He says, Kate, before you came here to Afghanistan, I was really crazy about you. And when you said yes to my invitation, I was really crazy about you. And when you boarded the plane, I was really crazy about you. And way back a few years ago, when you said no to my other invitation, I was really crazy about you. See, I didn't take Jesus to Afghanistan. He was already there. He was already loving the people of Afghanistan. He was already loving my friends. He was already present with them. So then the next question is, so why do I need to go, eh? Come on. Are you thinking it? Imagine this. Imagine that we're all in this room. You know, I'm sitting here drinking tea with someone. 
And I realized that actually Jesus is in this room too. And he might, just might, have something to say. And this is where we come in. We're like echoes, giving voice to, giving action to what Jesus is saying in a particular moment to a particular person. Can you go to the next slide? Uh, Go to the next one. So I want to tell you a a story, a brief story. It's a very dear friend of mine. Her name is Ziba, which means beautiful. Wouldn't you like to be named beautiful? Me, not so much. I'd be uncomfortable with that name. Really amazing woman. She was from Kabul, from the city of Kabul, and educated, met her husband in college. He was also educated. They, their entire college careers were destroyed by Mujahideen war. Devastated. They became refugees. Their community was destroyed by rockets. They fled and moved into a refugee area near my city. And I sensed God inviting me to build a relationship with this particular community and, and, to, and to focus on that particular woman. But it was hard because they lived, they lived about 40 minutes outside of the city I live, and it was really super hot and super dusty. And I don't like dusty and hot because I'm a wuss. Do you have that word? But I just sensed God saying, I really want you to go. I really want you to go. And, and so I, I made time. I said, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to visit this lovely lady. I'm going to spend time with her. And, oh, it's a super poor community and the tea is really bad and I always got sick too. I'm justifying the fact that I didn't like going. Are you comfortable with that? Good. Because I just want you to know I'm human. So I get out there and, and I'm getting to know this lady and I... I could tell that she was troubled by something. So I started asking her questions and then asking her the second question. And it, it turned out that this family is very, very poor. And the husband, who was kind of a good and decent man, but got himself in trouble with opium. We can, well, maybe you can't hear, maybe you don't know people, maybe Wisconsin has escaped the opium epidemic, but my area of America has not escaped the opium epidemic. This particular husband was smoking opium. It was wrecking his life. It was taking food out of the mouths of the family. So this poor woman is terribly, terribly poor. And her oldest daughter, a 14-year-old girl who looked like she was about 12, was being taken to pay a family debt. Yeah. This is a bad thing. And my first reaction to this, my very, very first reaction was, Lord, did I really have to come here today? Because I don't know what to say. My second thought was, can I pay the debt? Because, you know, I'm an American. (laughs) Whatever it is, I'll pay it. And that is not how it works. The agreements had already been made. That wasn't going to happen. So here I am, I'm in a situation in which I'm helpless. I can't fix it. Have you ever been in a situation with someone you love where you couldn't fix it? I mean, how's that feel? I don't like it. I like to be able to make things happen. So I'm sitting in this house, and I'm getting to know another person as a human being, and I'm asking questions, and I'm getting this story, and it's breaking my heart. 
And I'm trying to figure out what to say. And I, and I know that Jesus is here. Can you go to the next slide? So I think, look, I don't know what to say, but I'll bet Jesus has a good idea, eh? I'll bet he has some words. I'll bet he has an idea. So I asked him. I prayed. Remember, I'm, I'm in this house. I'm in a, a mud house with no paint on the walls, very, very poor, drinking really thin green tea that I know is going to make me sick because the wells are shallow and they're full of filth. And I know that Jesus is in this room with this mother who is heartbroken at the loss of her child, the pending loss of her child. And I know I don't have a clue what to say, and in desperation, I just, I'm praying. I'm listening to the woman. I'm talking to the woman. I'm listening to the Spirit. And I said, Lord, what do you want to say here? What do you want to say here? And I kept thinking about Psalm 91. Are you familiar with Psalm 91? It's such a beautiful psalm. It's about God's covering in the difficult times. And it, and it came to my mind, and... Um, I had this little book of psalms, this little blue book that had been translated locally, and I carried it with me everywhere. And I thought, let's look to Jesus together. And Afghans love psalms, by the way, because they're poetry. They're holy poetry. They really like them. So I I managed to find Psalm 91, but I couldn't read it because I, I I couldn't read the script. So together, Ziba and I, prayed through Psalm 91, one line at a time. By the way, you guys, your little pew Bibles, too small. (laughs) He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Zibal read a line, and we began to pray for her daughter. We prayed that psalm. Lord, no matter where she goes, no matter who she's carried off to, let her rest in your presence. Let her know your covering. And this beautiful Afghan woman and I, Ziba and I, we looked to God together in prayer, and we prayed for her precious and beautiful daughter. That day, we prayed through the entire psalm. We prayed these truths over her daughter's life. And that precious woman got to know a God who sees her and loves her and sees her daughter and loves her daughter. And these things are true, aren't they? Can you go back to my slide with the blue? With the lots of blue? So Jesus was there. God was there when that woman's daughter was formed in the womb. God's desire for that beautiful child is that she have a full and abundant life. God's passion for that child is to know his love, no matter where she goes, no matter what happens to her. We held on to that. In fact, we didn't just hold on to it. We entered into it together. We looked to Jesus together. We changed the conversation from, what am I going to do? This is a horrible thing. It is a horrible thing. To God is in this and God can protect your daughter in the middle of it. 
We changed the conversation. And it was holy. And it was sacred. And it was powerful. And over the course of the next few months, as they were planning this wedding, there there actually was a wedding, we continued to pray these psalms over her daughter's life. And then we began to pray stories from the Old Testament. Daniel was her favorite. The daughter joined us, by the way. She held on to the story of, of Daniel being thrown in the lion's den. It just, it just spoke to her soul. God is here in the lion's den, and God can protect me in the lion's den. And that lovely young lady went off and, and was married to a family. And amazingly, she did okay. Amazingly, God was with her in her experience that I wouldn't want. And in that place that she hadn't chosen for herself, she came to know ever more deeply this God whose story of her has never, ever changed, who loves her with an everlasting love in the same way he loves me with an everlasting love. How cool is that? How holy is that? And for me to be able to enter it, to be able to enter that story, a a couple of weeks after the daughter was married off, I had to leave. I had to leave the area. And I didn't want to because there were so many things God was doing and I wanted to stick around. And this particular woman, Ziva, this mother, had we'd read psalms together and we'd prayed psalms. And I talked to her about Jesus, but I thought, how am I going to get a New Testament in her hands? And I decided I'm just going to give it to her as a going away gift. I'm leaving for a few months. So I did. And I said, this is the most treasured thing in the world to me. I want you to have it. And I would encourage you to read it. And then after your evening prayers, pray and ask God if any of this is true. Now, I love what God does. So, so watch this. So she says to me, well, how will God show me that? It's true. And I said, I didn't want to, you know, lead her or put ideas in her head. And I said, well, I don't know, but he probably will. <laughs> and she said, will he speak to me in a dream? And I said, yeah, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> And she proceeded to tell me a dream that she'd been having for months of a man who came in white and sat on the floor next to her and stroked her hair as she slept and told her every night, it's going to be okay. I'm here. And she looked at me and she said, is that Jesus? The privilege of seeing God moving in someone else's life is just such a powerful gift. To be able to get those glimpses of God's presence and his action in someone else's life. I I, want to tell you one. Am I okay? I think I am. I want to tell you one other thing about that village. So I want to remind you that that was not a strategy, going to that village. That was prayer. I said, Lord, where do I go? And I sensed God saying, go to that village. And I said, actually, okay, I'll go next week. Maybe next week. Really, now? Because it it was hot. 
and I don't want to I don't want to undersell this. It was super super hot. It was like it was like 125 degrees and dusty and a long way out and bad tea and I was going to be sick. God saying, "I'm this place, this place, right?" So we had this lovely experience of praying psalms over the daughter, and then she told me about this dream of Jesus in glowing white. This is how smart God is. And then I left and I said, I'm so guilty. I'm a horrible person. I can't finish the work here. I got to finish the work and I got to go. Like this was my conversation. Like it's all about me. Have you ever felt like it's all about you? So I come back six months later, three months in the States, three months in Kabul. I come back to the community and I'm drinking tea and all the women from the neighborhood who I knew and loved, they're all sitting around drinking tea with me. And next thing I know, they're like quoting Jesus. And at first, and, but they're not, they didn't memorize the verses. They're like quoting them in their own phraseology. And at first I thought that was kind of weird. And then they did it again and I thought, hang on, I think that's Jesus. <laughs> and then they did it again and I thought, I'm really sure that's Jesus. And here I am, oh, me of giant faith, right? And I, I said, I said, well, are, where did you learn that? <laughs> like, who else has been messing around here? <laughs> you have no right. I wasn't here. He laughs. And this old lady, she was so cute. She hit me and she said, this lady, Ziba, has been reading your book to us. We meet every day to read some of it and then we go home and we're enjoying it very much. Thank you. (laughs) How smart is God? No strategy, just prayer, faithfulness, the courage to walk in and to trust that God is here talking to this person that he's invited me to speak to and he's doing something in their life and I can ask him, what are you doing and what do you want me to do? What's my part in this? And I can trust him to lead me, to tell me. And then I can have fun because I like having fun when I step forward into it. And how cool is that? So I, I like to tell people that God invited me, Jesus invited me to walk with him in Afghanistan. And this is what I like to tell people, because I'm like this this little kid in the kingdom. I'm not real smart. I'm not real strong. I'm not real capable. I'm, I'm really not. But Jesus invited me to walk with him in Afghanistan. And I like to tell people I was just crazy in love with him enough to say, yeah, that'd be fun. (laughs) And I still have that spirit in me. And Afghanistan has been hard. And we've lost a lot. But I've seen Jesus there. And over the years of walking with him in that place, in corporate, now in this season, my own story of Jesus is changing. It's deepening. It's growing. It's becoming more full. My life is fuller. Life, abundant, rich, full, is lived in those places where we step into the invitation of God. No, no matter where that invitation leads us, whether it leads us to Chad, God bless these brothers and sisters in Chad, or whether it leads us to, to Milwaukee, or whether it leads us to family, or it leads us to strangers, the joy is found in leaning into the invitation, hearing that invitation, and going for it. And that, for me, is the greatest privilege in the world. 
That's where the life is. I hope some of you will be able to come back this evening because um, we're going we're gonna to do a workshop this evening and we'll, we'll talk more about invitation. Okay, but my sense, my understanding, because Jesus is this to each one of you, is that he has right now placed invitations on your heart. You may know what they are and you may be resisting. That's okay. Get over it. But that's okay. Or you may be running headlong into his invitations. Or you may be wondering, really, is that possible? And struggling and doubting. But you know what his invitations are. And I, I just, I, I want to pray. Can I pray as we, can I do that? I just want to pray that you receive the invitation that God has for you. And, un, and open that envelope and go headlong into it. Can I do that? So if you're brave, if you're for it. Can you, we pray in Afghanistan, we pray with our hands open. Is that too weird? You can do it. Come on. Hands open. I love the way they pray because it's, it's sort of like, okay, I'm here. I'm ready. So, Lord, I pray that the invitation, you have a personal invitation for each and every one of us. And you know what it is. And I pray, Lord, that you would put your invitation for each of us into our hands. And give us, Lord, the courage to open that envelope, to read that invitation, and to step boldly into what you have for us, knowing that that's where the fullness of life for each of us is. And I pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.